Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KLA HT2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me is David Meyer, as always. David, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm excited to be back in the studio after our long break. It seems like forever. There's a lot of sports we're going to get to tonight. Starting with some NFL stuff, going to move into the big trade the Cardinals made for Nolan Arenado, and then move into the big trade about James Harden. Seems like the last time we were here talking about James Harden and how he would not be traded, and here it is. He gets traded. But first, tonight we're going to start out with, for the, the whole month of February, in honor of Black History Month, we're going to recognize an athlete, an African-American athlete that revolutionized their sport. Our first athlete that we have, if you check our social media page, we put it out there, is Jerry Rice, wide receiver of the San Francisco 49ers. Rice was selected by the San Francisco 49ers 16th overall in the first round of the 1985 NFL Draft. During his career, he was a 13-time Pro Bowler, a 10-time All-Pro, and was a part of the 1980 and 1990 All-Decades team. He was a two-time Offensive Player of the Year in 1987 and 1993. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2010. He finished his career with all three being NFL records, 1,549 receptions, 22,895 yards receiving, and 208 career touchdowns. All of those are records to this day, and when he retired in 2004 after a 20-year career, he held nearly every major receiving record in the sport of football. Very impressive career that he had there. And be sure to check out our social media in the next coming week as we move on to our next athlete that revolutionized their sport. First tonight, we're going to get into some NFL, and we're going to talk about probably the biggest name in the trade market right now. And that's Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson. He's now demanded a trade from the Texans. It was a little bit, will he or will he not? He now officially has, and Adam Schefter reported it. It did happen a few weeks ago. Now the biggest question. The Texans are playing hardball, and he wants out. Do you think that he will actually get traded? And remember, he does have a no-trade clause. Uh, I, I have to imagine he's gone. A player of that caliber... And with that much influence as a young player in the league, there is no way he stays there. I've seen reports that he'll he's ready to sit out the season if he stays with the Texans. So just with that threat alone, pulling essentially a Le'Veon Bell, I he's got to be traded. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think he gets traded at some point. When I don't know. I think the Texans are going to try to take this as long as they can. Obviously, you don't want to get rid of a top-five quarterback in the NFL. He's extremely talented, and last year he really showed it with the team that he was playing with, lack of weapons. So I do think he gets traded, but if you're the Texans, what what would it take to actually get a guy like that? I think is truly interesting, and that's why I think it's going to take a little bit longer here too when we decide, okay, where is he going to end up? What type of teams are going to be able to offer up something good enough for him? A top five quarterback in the NFL. You don't normally see that on the trade market. So if you're Houston, you really don't want to get rid of him having a brand new head coach who they just brought in and a brand new general manager. Their first thing they have to deal with is possibly losing their top five quarterback based off of things the ownership did. So it's an interesting spot that they're in. I'm going to follow that very closely and now, when you look at what it would take to possibly get a guy like that, I mean, can you? what package would you have to give up to get a top-five quarterback in the league? Well, 
the Texans got rid of Bill O'Brien, so you can't trade a punter and two bags of carrots for him. <laughs> Much to every other team's dismay. <laughs> but actually, I think some of the rumors are multiple firsts, uh, some seconds, and defensive starters. So it's got to be a team that's looking to compete now. I would have to imagine it, it's a lot of firsts. It's the specific rumor I'm looking at says three firsts. That's you're betting pretty much the house on Deshaun Watson. So you gotta be you have to know what you're doing. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. I think three first round picks starts the conversation for most teams. Because if this does go down like this, it's gonna be a bidding war. Like like I talked about earlier, you don't see top five quarterbacks get traded every day. It doesn't happen. Everyone's looking for a Patrick Mahomes. This is the closest thing you're going to find on the trade or free agency market to him. And you know it's a proven commodity. You know what you're getting with Deshaun Watson. You could use that pick, let's say just the Jets, for example, here. You could use that number two pick on said Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, whoever you like other than Trevor Lawrence. You don't know if he'll turn into Deshaun Watson. So I think that's going to be huge. I think 3-1 starts it. I think you could even start to toss in second-round picks. I personally think, at the end of the day, what will probably end up being that they get for him three firsts, two seconds, and a third, and at least a player, if not maybe even two. Because I think this is really going to be a bidding war for him. A lot of teams are going to be interested in him. We saw quite a few teams interested in Stafford, in which we'll get to that a little bit later. And Deshaun Watson opens up a lot more teams, in my opinion, because he is better than Matthew Stafford. So now even more teams would see him as an upgrade over their QB. And we talked about the price it would take. It's very steep. Very, very steep to get him. Do you think it's worth it for a team to take a shot like that? Absolutely. He's a young quarterback. He's 25 He's proven to be good even without a good team around him. Last year, he really didn't have any weapons, and he still succeeded. He's under contract for a number of years, and it's not too expensive. It's, you know, it's a decent amount of money, but it's not super expensive, so you can continue to build around him. Anyone who trades for Deshaun Watson pretty much no matter what, like barring injury, is going to be happy. Yeah, 100% with you on that. He's a phenomenal QB. You don't see that on the market at all. And I know I keep on saying that, but it's it's incredible that the Texans have let it, let it get this far, that you could let your franchise guy, your quarterback, you know you have, if he stays healthy, for the next 10 years at least, and he would be a top five QB for you. It's truly incredible. And if the teams are going a lot of teams are going to want to give up this price. I agree. What's going to be interesting for me is what team gives it up. You look at some teams that they have in the conversation, such as let's say the Jets or the Broncos. Even if you give up all those assets to go get him, how do you keep building the team around him? And that's my biggest question. It for teams, is it going to be worth? taking a rebuild a couple of years down the road and hoping Watson just makes your team that much better. He is that type of quarterback that makes everyone else around him better. He does have that ability and that's what separates him from that next tier of quarterbacks. Now, can he make a team like the Jets or the Broncos good? That's where I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that works out. 
And now the teams that are all rumored to be in on Deshaun Watson, the Dolphins, the Jets, the Broncos, the 49ers, the Bears, Panthers, Washington, and the Patriots all have a good argument on why they could use him. We're going to go through these eight teams and rank them. Which ones are the true contenders and which ones we think have a real shot at Deshaun Watson? We're going to start out with number eight. David, who do you have at eight? I have the Jets. Deshaun Watson does have that no trade clause. He demanded a trade, so he's going to waive that, but only for certain teams. And with how just dysfunctional the Jets were last year, yeah, there's been coaching changes, and Robert Saleh is a great coach, but there's very little talent there, and I think he wants to go to to any team where he can try and compete for a championship right away. So, for me, the Jets just aren't a team he wants to go to, and he'd probably block that with a no, his no-trade clause. Yeah, for me, I'm starting out my list with the Denver Broncos. And the Broncos have a bright future. I like what they're building there. Vic Fangio, a great defensive mind. Then also you look at the pass rushes they have. Interesting what they're going to do with Von Miller. Do you have a club option on him? Now, if he will be back or not. A.J. Boye in the secondary, who also he has a high contract. Will they look to move on from him? I look at that offense, and I see a lot of pieces there. K.J. Hamler, Cortland Sutton, who had the torn ACL, Jerry Judy, Noah Fant. They have a lot to like on that offense. But Deshaun Watson bringing him in, you're going to give up all those picks. Is it worth it to a team like Denver? That's why I don't like this move for Watson because if they are to give up all these picks to go get him and even you think a defensive starter. So you look around that defense, so someone else would be going with him with probably Drew Locke probably to the uh, Texans that's where it gets interesting for me because I don't think Denver can complete this rebuild I don't think they can revamp this team without those picks and I think at the end of the day that's going to be not appealing to Deshaun Watson he's it's going to be the same situation that he's in with Houston except the pieces that he does have is on the offensive side of the ball with him as opposed to on the defensive side where Houston's more stronger than their offense so that's why I have the Broncos at eight Next up is the number 7th contender for Deshaun Watson. Who do you have there? I have the Patriots. They, I think, finally, the evil empire is dead. They lost Tom Brady. They didn't win the division. They didn't make the playoffs for the first time in 20-plus years. And their future doesn't look great. They don't have a lot of young, up-and-coming guys that... Deshaun Watson could be surrounded by so it's they're better than the the Jets because of just the Jets management overall but they're they're still not a team that I think he would really want to go to it might there might be some appeal of the Patriots have high pros or high draft picks for the Texans and Deshaun Watson might want to play for Bill Belichick but there's also been some talk of Bill Belichick might not be a great person in the locker room. Yeah, my number seven team is the Patriots, too. And when you look at this team, there are things to like about the New England Patriots. It's the Patriots. They've been a dynasty forever. You look at the defense. It's exciting. There's a lot of players on it. Then you look at, obviously, Bill Belichick, one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach of all time. Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator. And then this so-called Patriot way that 
brings them these victories that and all this success that no one thought was possible for 20 years of just amazing success. While all that's great, it all has its flaws. When you look at all those positives, the defense, Stephon Gilmore, who I would say is probably their best player on the team currently, is going to be 31 and has a high cap hit. There's a chance they could look to trade him this offseason to get some picks back for him. He has one more year left for he is going to get a monster deal. Just one defensive player of the year last season. So he's a guy that you're going to have to pay. J.C. Jackson is going to be a free agent as well. They're going to be missing a lot of pieces on that defense this upcoming year. Then you look at Bill Belichick. Everyone questioned for years, was it Tom Brady? Is it Bill Belichick? What makes this team successful? Everyone liked to say Bill Belichick was the popular answer. I'm not ready to say it wasn't Bill Belichick, but Tom Brady's proving that he's pretty successful elsewhere. He's playing in the Super Bowl right now in the NFC. So there's question marks there. Then Josh McDaniels, highly regarded offensive coordinator, had plenty of jobs. Now even he has some question marks with Cam Newton, who does have a lot of talent and a lot to like there. He couldn't turn that offense into much. And yes, he didn't have the best offensive weapons, but the Patriots offense was just stagnant for so many games last year. And if you're going to be a creative play caller, you have to find ways to improve your offense. You look at Tom Brady last season. It looked like Tom Brady was about done, and now he's in Tampa Bay throwing 40 touchdown passes. That's creativity at its finest. So that's why I like the Patriots as seventh, and I don't think Houston would want to trade him within the AFC if possible. I know some of their better options lie in the AFC, but if I'm the Texans, I don't want to keep him in the AFC where I could have to play him to try to get back to a Super Bowl every year. So I don't like the Patriots as a landing spot for him all that much. Now we move on to our sixth spot here. Who do you have there at that spot? For number six, I have the Panthers. I think they're a young team that could be good. You have CMC, who Christian McCaffrey, who's a very good running back, and you have some weapons there uh, with Mike Davis, but it's how much can they give up without torching the prospects of that rebuild, which is the big problem. And something that we haven't talked about yet with Deshaun Watson, that's a lot of money on his contract, and they don't have very much cap space. It's looking around $7 million. So they'd have to shed some good, high-money players, and thats I don't know if they're going to want to do that and get rid of a lot of talent that could help Deshaun Watson succeed if he did go to the Panthers. So... They're number six, but I could see him going to the Panthers. Yeah, the Panthers are a team that they're. I do like them as a landing spot for him. And cap-wise, it is interesting with his contract. If he is traded this year, he only costs the team $10.5 million, And it's next year he'll kick into another forty because that's signing bonuses and the Texans will still have to hold on to that into dead cap. So it's interesting how his contract works. He's actually pretty cheap this season, but you're right. In the future, you're going to have to find ways to pay $40 million for a quarterback. And it's going to be tough for some teams. And I actually, at six, also have the Carolina Panthers. And the reasons I like him going to Carolina is a spot that I think makes sense. Would be, one, they have the eighth overall pick. They can trade that, and that is going to be very high in this bidding war. Only the Jets on my list have a better pick than that. Or I guess also Miami also has a top five pick. But... You have the number eighth pick that's going to be very good for your trying to get a deal done. Then you look at your offensive coordinator, Joe Brady. 
with LSU, he had one of the best seasons ever, and you could argue Joe Burrow had the best season by a quarterback in college football history. He's up there in that argument. Do I want to go play with a guy who can get me wildly successful stats when I already am considered a top-five QB? Absolutely. I would love to go play for Joe Brady. You talked about Christian McCaffrey. And then also you look at the receiving core he has. It's a lot like what we saw in Houston at their prime. And it's interesting when you look at it. I don't think they're as good of players, but it is kind of what he had there. Robbie Anderson, absolute speed speed threat. Will Fuller. Then you look at DJ Moore. I'm not saying he's on the same level as DeAndre Hopkins. Don't get me wrong there. But he is that type of receiver. He does have speed to break away, but he's just a very good route runner, and he can get open. He creates space for himself, and that's a lot like DeAndre Hopkins in a sense. So I like the Panthers there at sixth. And now we're going to move into the fifth team. Who do you have as that fifth team? Uh, You already talked about them before. I have the Broncos. They have the defense with Vic Fangio and a lot of talent on that defense. And I think that's where a lot of their success lies in their future success if they do realize their potential. But they also have a lot of offensive weapons around that could be useful for Deshaun Watson. And it would finally go against like the mold that John Elway has of tall white quarterbacks so that would be really nice uh so their fifth for me i think a trade here would be it would probably it's definitely the three firsts and a defensive starter that you don't want to give up but for deshaun watson it's worth it yeah and for me i have a team that you already talked about i had the new york jets coming in at five for me and when i look at the jets what uh, what's appealing about this jets team One, you're going to play in the Kyle Shanahan system, which obviously Aaron Rodgers, you see a difference between elite QBs in the Kyle Shanahan system and then average QBs in it. You look at Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, those are average QBs in that system. You look at elite QBs, that's Matt Ryan in 2016, who won the MVP, and then Aaron Rodgers this season with forty touchdown over 40 touchdown passes and is more than likely going to be your NFL MVP. That's what elite quarterback play looks like. You have that there in actually the Green Bay head coach. His little brother is the offensive coordinator of the Jets. He followed from the 49ers. Then Robert Sala, he is a guy that's going to get that team to play very hard. And he's going to get those players. He's going to get the best out of all of them. You look at some players that the 49ers defense played with this year. Kerry Hyder was a guy who best season was about three sacks. This year, he has eight and a half and was a leading sack guy for the 49ers. You look at Akella Witherspoon. It's a guy that a lot of people wrote off in that 49ers secondary. They need a big win against Arizona to kind of get this team back, get some confidence underneath them again. Akella Witherspoon, the last five games, played as good as any corner on that team. And Jason Brett was also on that defense, a guy who'd been injured. He gets the best out of players. So I think that's going to be big for him. And I think he wants the big market. I think... Uh, Being in Houston, being overshadowed by the Cowboys, when you think of Texas football, it's the Dallas Cowboys. It's not the Houston Texans. This is a chance for him. And, yes, you're going to New York where the Jets can be considered a little brother to the Giants as well. But with Deshaun Watson as the QB, they instantly become more interesting than the Giants and can take over the fandom of that city. So I think the big market will be interesting. And 
most a trade. I think the second overall pick, that's a lot to offer. That allows the Texans to get their QB of the future. And also you could add in Sam Darnold. They have the best trade package, I believe. Them in Miami, I think, have the best trade packages to go get him. Next up on our list, who do you have there? I have, for fourth, I have the 49ers. A little bit of symmetry is maybe why I picked that, but I think they're also a good contender for him. And really, when it comes down to where he gets, where Deshaun Watson gets traded, is where does he want to go? It's not necessarily who gives up the bet the most for him. Although Houston's not going to trade him for anything less than at least two first rounds, probably three. But going to the 49ers is just I think that's automatic, automatically a playoff team. Of course, but with how injured they were this season and still how well they performed in a really tough NFC West, I think that's a top-tier contender if you add Deshaun Watson. And that's really appealing because, you know, he wants to win. I think that's one of the big reasons he wants out of Texas because they haven't been winning and ownership doesn't and hasn't put players around him and put him in a position to win and I think he gets that in San Fran yeah I think that's a good spot for him as well and for my fourth team I had the Chicago Bears and when you look at this Bears team there's a lot to like about this team you look at one the defense you know you're going to have a top five top 10 defense every single year you have Khalil Mack one of the best defensive players in the league Eddie Jackson I know had a down year last season but still a top end safety back there And then when you look at defensively, it's rumored they want some starters off the defense. They do have some spots where they they have a lot of depth, and they could give up a couple players to bring in and Deshaun Watson. So the defense is one thing. When Deshaun's looking at his teams, makes sense. Like I said, he's looking for a big market. How about the city of Chicago? That's another good spot for him. Obviously, Chicago, some could argue, is more of a baseball town with the Cubs. But at the same time, football is very prominent in Chicago. And so I think that would be a good spot for him. And then also, when you look at what the Bears have on the offensive side, is it as good as some other teams? I think as we're getting into these this top four, I would say it's going to be close. But when you look at it, is Allen Robinson going to be back? That's my biggest question mark. If you can bring Allen Robinson back, Deshaun Watson for sure is going to want to play with an Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller. It's without a doubt. Then David Montgomery has turned himself into a really good running back in this league. I think they make a lot of sense for him. Will he end up there? I mean, no one will know until it happens, just like the rest of these teams. But now we're going to move into, I believe we're on three? Yes, we are on three. Third-ranked team. Who do you have? The Washington football team. I'm not a huge fan of the Washington football team. They did make the playoffs last year. I don't think they should have, but they did. (laughs) They have a very good young core on defense, a good head coach in Ron Rivera, and I think they can take the next step with adding Deshaun Watson. Giving up those picks is tough, but I think they'll be in a position to add either through late-round picks or free agency. There are some free agent there is offensive talent in free agency that you can really add to the Washington football team and surround Deshaun Watson with talent, adding to your already very good 
front seven. That's that's appealing for me, especially with the big market of DC. Yeah, we have a, we've had quite a few of the same teams. My three, I have the Washington football team as well. And when you look at that team, that defense is young. It's ferocious. They have some of the best pass rushers on that front seven. And it reminds me a lot of Seattle in 2013. They're not just four rushers. They are very deep on their defensive line. That's how they built this team up. Then you look in the linebacking core. They've been able to hit on some lower round picks and some nice bargain bin free agents. Cole Holcomb and then also John Bostic there in the linebacking core. It's been impressive what they were able to do. And their secondary, I think, is really where they've hit on some low-round picks. You look at Cameron Curl, then also Jimmy Moreland. They have some nice guys in that secondary. And I think defensively, that's going to be a good fit for them. Ron, Ron Rivera, that's a guy that I think Deshaun Watson would love to play for. When you look at the coaches Sean Watson wanted to have interviewed, it were guys that could take over a locker room. He asked for Robert Sala. That's what he did. He can take over the locker room. He's not going to be the best X's and O's guy, but he's going to get the players to play for him. It's exactly what Ron Rivera does. So I like Ron Rivera as well. And then when you look at on the offense, there's some things to like there. Some young talent, Antonio Gibson, Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas. They have some weapons there. And I think when you look at most of these teams, while, yes, they just barely snuck into the playoffs, I think they're better set up for the future to lose some picks than other teams are. Cap space isn't a huge issue for them right now, so I really do think Washington could make a play for him. Now we move into our second-ranked team. Who do you have there? I have the Dolphins, and I talked a decent bit about how it's where Deshaun Watson wants to go. Here, it's partially about the package because they would have to... I would imagine they would have to give up the third overall pick that they got from Houston to uh, as well as those later those future first round picks and I don't think the Texans can really say no to that in Miami is an appealing team they're a lot like a, a bunch of these other teams we've talked about they're in a position to take the next step and they can do that with Tua, but he's been kind of up and down. They've benched him a couple times, which confuses me. They were 10-6 and six and missed the playoffs, which is always tough. But you add Deshaun Watson to that team, and you just kind of stay the course with him, you're going you're gonna to find success. So I think they're a pretty good option. Yeah, they are a good option, and they are actually my number one team. But before I get to my number one team, at number two, I do have the San Francisco 49ers. And one of the big reasons I went with them at two is I think they're one of the, they're one of the only teams on this list where you can say a change at quarterback instantly puts them right back where, right back where they were in 2019, right back into a Super Bowl position, NFC Championship at least. And when you look at this 49ers team, the defense was phenomenal last season. I know you lose your defensive coordinator, but he was also coaching without most of his starters throughout the year. You get Nick Bosa back, who's one of the better pass rushers in the league. That's going to make that defense better. When you look at cap space for this team, a few cuts with the West Weston Richburg at center, D4, Jimmy Garoppolo. That frees up almost $60 million, $75 million in cap space for this team because they are paying a lot to injured players. 
And so I think cap space won't be an issue for them once they make those cuts. Then when you look at the weapons that the 49ers have on offense, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson Jr., and then obviously the people's tight end, George Kittle, it's all there's a lot there to like weapon-wise. And then I think the biggest X factor when it comes to what Deshaun Watson would be looking for is the head coach, Kyle Shanahan. He's obviously proven he's one of the better play callers in the league, and he's very creative. And one thing he's able to do with teams is he'll come in one year and run a lot of these same plays, but then as he moves into the next year, he'll give you that same look, but send it the opposite direction, and he'll come up with so much misdirection, get you, because you watch all this film about going one direction with this motion, and he'll hit you the other way with it. He's just so creative, and he's always one step ahead of the defense, and it's been a shame that we've had to see Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard, no disrespect to them, but it's been a shame we've had to see that offense with them, and then even Jimmy Garoppolo, he's been a guy that 28 touchdowns in that offense, but an elite QB with Kyle Shanahan could be very scary. I think if Deshaun Watson ends up there, they're right up there with, a, I'd say, top three favorites to make the Super Bowl of the NFC. I think there would be a top team for him. And now we move to our top spot. David, who do you have at number one? This is, it may, they might not be the best team looking out of these contenders, but they're my favorite team. So I'm going <laughs> with the Bears. Um, but I think I can make a strong case. They have those defensive starters in some case to spare. Uh, the GM, Ryan Pace, has had a long history of missing on first-round picks. So, quote-unquote, losing the first-round picks isn't that much of a big deal because you're going to be able to hit on those later-round picks, which he's had a good history of. They have defensive starters that they can trade. Akeem Hicks. There's been talk of Roquan Smith. I I wouldn't do that at all. Uh, maybe Jalen Johnson. Maybe Kyle Fuller. Those are There's a lot of speculation there. But the offense has been kind of slowed down by Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles, and Matt Nagy. And I think finally Matt Nagy has kind of gotten out of his own way having Bill Lazor there. And just the offense that they'll have with Deshaun Watson, they bring Allen Robinson back, David Montgomery, Anthony Miller, Darnell Mooney. That's a terrifying offense. There's so much power there. And to go along with, I think, a defense that's a little underrated and is going to be better next year. And specifically, Deshaun Watson wanted to be picked by the Bears in the draft. He's There's a lot of people saying he wants to go to Chicago. Michael Vick, who probably not the best person to listen to, has been pushing Deshaun Watson to go to the Bears, and I think that's where he's going to end up. Yeah, it's an interesting destination for him, to say the least. And now, for my number one team, I went with the Miami Dolphins. I went with one because it's he's already stayed. That's a team that he would waive his no-trade clause for. And they're a team that needs a quarterback and I know Tua I get it they just drafted him but if I can switch out Tua in some picks for Deshaun Watson I'm doing it every day of the week I'm taking that and when you look at Miami Brian Flores he's really turning himself into a dominant coach in the NFL what he did last season was really good and he's not going to get enough credit for it because they did not sneak into the back end of the playoffs there but I love what he did last season obviously the only thing that I didn't like 
was what he did with his quarterbacks. When things went bad, he bounced between Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick. I wish he would have just stuck with one. And then when you look at what he does well, it's obviously coaching that defense. And that defense came to play a lot. They had a lot of upset wins last season. I didn't think they were going to find a way to win, and they did because their defense played so well. So I think that's one thing that sticks out. Also, no offensive coordinator picked yet for that Miami team. Deshaun Watson could come in and bring any guy in that he decided he'd want to bring. That's definitely appealing for Deshaun Watson. Then when you look at the weapons, they don't have the best weaponry of the teams we've named, but you look at Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, the running back situation they need to hammer out in the draft. But they also do have two first-round picks this year where you could give those two picks up and also pick next year. They have some options in a trade package. I think it makes it very interesting that they would not lose many picks for the future because they could give two up now, one this year, and keep a first-rounder this year. They have a lot of flexibility. And before we go to our first break here, real quickly, what's just a prediction on a trade package and a team you think he's going to be dealt to? I'm going to take my number one team, the Bears, and it's three firsts, the you know, upcoming draft in 2020, or 22-23, a uh, second-round pick, uh, two second-round picks, actually, Akeem Hicks, and all that for Deshaun Watson, and, like, a fifth, just because a fifth sounds fun. <laughs> just because you want it. Yes. Oh, uh, For me, I'm going to go with my first team as well. I'm going to go with the Dolphins in this one. I think they end up giving three first-round picks away, and I think they keep one of their picks this year. I'd assume the later one of their two first-round picks, so they're able to get another weapon for Deshaun Watson. I think they give up two twos and then Tua. I think Tua's an interesting piece there, young quarterback, only second year in the NFL. You can build around Tua if that's what you decide. And then it gives the Texans the liberty there. To, and obviously you get most of your draft capital back that you've lost, but also you can move back. Let's say you get that number three pick. You can trade back a few spots, still get a dominant player, and you can get two of some weapons with that team. So I think the Dolphins put together quite the trade package. I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be something to watch this offseason. We're going to take our first break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to look at some coaching hirings in the NFL. We're going to grade them. And then also we're going to look at Matthew Stafford, another big domino that fell in the quarterback carousel this offseason. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm Logan Howell. With me is David Meyer. And we just got done talking about the Sean Watson. Now we're going to move on to another big-name QB in the headlines. And that's Matthew Stafford. Longtime Lion is now traded to the Los Angeles Rams for Jared Goff, a 2022 first-round pick, 22, a 2023 first-round pick, and a third-round pick there. Now, when you look at this trade overall, how beneficial was this for the Lions? I think it's it's not the trade you wanted because Matthew Stafford has been great for the Lions for so long, but they're not good. And they just aren't going to be good in the next, I think his contract's like two, three more years. Two years, yeah. So they're not going to compete. In those two years, they still have much more to do. And those first-round picks are definitely going to help. It's it's interesting to see how effective those firsts are going to be because the Lions haven't had great 
luck with first overall picks. So we'll see that going forward. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, yes, the two first-round picks is nice. And when you look at it, obviously they did get a very good haul. I think some of that has to do with the fact that they took on Jared Jared Goff's contract. That's a lot of dead cap and a lot of money that they saved the Rams in that trade. So, yes, I think it's beneficial. I think you get a chance to look at Jared Goff, see what you like, see what you don't like. But then also, at the same time, I would have went with some different offers that were out there on the table. There's been reports of Carolina offering eight, as well as some more picks. Then also you see there's a report that at least two other teams offered two first-round picks. Yes, you got these uh, first-round picks, but that's not this year's draft. It's two and three years down the road. How beneficial is that for a team trying to rebuild right now? Could it be huge? Maybe you have two first-round picks now in 2023 when you're ready to draft your quarterback? Maybe. Maybe that's the plan there. I want to see how it works out. But for me, I think they definitely could have went a different route, and it would have been more beneficial for them. But two first-round picks and a top-15 quarterback is definitely nothing to sneeze at whatsoever. Now, when you look at... The quarterback in question here. We look at Jared Goff, who got traded, took the Rams to a Super Bowl, and then has been kind of questioned ever since when they lost in the Super Bowl. Do you think the Lions really view Goff as a long-term solution for this team? I don't believe so. I think he's, you know, we were talking about it during uh, before the show. They're kind of like three tiers of starting quarterback that are good, and he's like really solidly in that average quarterback. He got elevated a lot by the newness of Sean McVay's system, and I think that's why they made it to the Super Bowl, or so far in the playoffs. But as that like shiny new car feel wore off, people got more adjusted to Sean McVay's offense. Uh, Jared Goff kind of lowered down, and people were able to figure out what he was doing. So I think he's an average quarterback, which is not a slight on him at all, but he's not going to be the long-term solution for the Lions. No, I agree. He's not the long-term solution for them. And when the trade first happened, I started to question a little bit if they wouldn't try to turn around and trade Goff again to someone else. Obviously, they said they're going to keep him, and that was just a little maddening me there to want to trade him again. But When you look at Jared Goff on this team, it gives you two years at least of, like you said, average to above average quarterback play. Will he get that in Detroit? I don't know. You have to keep Kenny Galladay there. You have to keep Marvin Jones around. He needs weapons if you want him to be successful. He needs everything around him to be perfect. And then you will be very successful with him. But when things start to be the one position is not as good Uh, as the quarterback position, then you start to see his struggles because he's not able to elevate those players around him. So he can only be as good as everyone else around him. When you look at this trade, I talked about a little bit before, maybe that's what they're looking to do there. Keep golf for a couple years and then trade those picks to move on and get their quarterback. You're taking those future picks. You're going to build the team over two years and then have trade capital to go get someone new. It's a good plan. When you look at some teams, you look at the Miami Dolphins, they've built their team up, and now they're looking for that quarterback. They're ready to compete. They just need a QB. It'll be interesting to see if that's the way they go with it. Um, But no, I can't see Goff there as the long-term guy. 
And now we look at from the Rams' point of view. Matthew Stafford's been fantastic for the Detroit Lions. He's been very underrated his whole entire career. The one thing that people talk about with him, though, is he's 0-3 in the playoffs, and he has the most passing yards and passing touchdowns, or maybe he's second. He's top two, and he's never won a playoff game. For the Rams, does this finally put them over the top, or does that scare you that we've never seen him in these big situations? It doesn't scare me, but I don't think it puts them quite over the top. They have some good weapons, but I think they're just a little bit short of like true Super Bowl contention and that's going to be interesting to see how that develops but I think they're going to get a lot better with Matthew Stafford he's going to elevate the talent around him and the talent around him is going up so much from where it was with the Lions to where it is now with the Rams they're going to be a lot better offensively and their defense is a it was the best defense in the league last year. So I think they'll be a good team, but a solid playoff team. But I don't know if they're going to be able to compete for a Super Bowl. Yeah, and it's interesting. I don't think this puts them over the top. It's an upgrade. It is that. And when we talked about the quarterback tiers a little bit, there's the top tier, obviously, the top five guys. Then once you, you have your next tier, and that gets you to about quarterback, let's say 10, 11, somewhere in there. And then you have your average guys. For me, Stafford's in that tier two. He's going to be somewhere between 6 and 12 consistently, depending on what he has around him. I think with McVay and the Rams, you're going to see him push closer to 6 than to 12. And with Detroit at times, I think he was right around 10, 10-ish, but still a top 10 guy. I'm not sure this puts them over the top. I don't think it does. They have a lot of competition in the NFC West. Seattle now is implementing that Shanahan system. They brought in a McVay assistant coach to bring their to be their offensive coordinator. I think the Seahawks expect them to get better. And then obviously the San Francisco 49ers are going to be fully healthy once again. They've swept the Rams two years in a row now. They're, Kyle, Kyle Shanahan has Sean McVay's number right now. That's something they're going to have to get over, and I think Matthew Stafford helps that out a lot. And you look at the Arizona Cardinals, with all that they had last year, they were kind of a letdown. I expected a lot more from them. I expect them to take a next step. Now two years under their belt in that offense, everybody together, they'll even get better. So it'll be tough to come out of that division. Then you look at the NFC, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, big-name QBs in there. I don't think it puts them over the top, but – the Rams made the move because they had to. When you look at the trades they've made over these last three years, they've gone all in every single year, and they don't have the draft picks. They don't have any more picks to try to build this team up for a future. It is win now, win a Super Bowl right now. They did it going into 18. They go to the Super Bowl and lose. Then we see them trade for Jalen Ramsey at the trade deadline, trying to push into the playoffs. Can't do it. This season, they make another good run at it upgrade the QB position, they have to. They had to find someone better than Jared Goff because by the time Goff's contract was up would be about the time they are getting first-round picks back. You you can't succeed that way with what the team they had. You had to have an elite QB and just hope McVay, an elite QB, could take you to the promised land. I don't think it does, but I see what they're doing. They have to go for a win now because that's the position that they were in. Now, talking about the win-now mode and that philosophy in the NFL, the Rams have done it very well. Made the playoffs three out of four years with McVay and just about snuck in the door on the one year they missed. Do you like the Rams' philosophy of trading first-round picks and just picks in general for proven talent? 
I do. I I like it a lot because draft picks, no matter how certain you are, no matter how much it's like, all right, this guy has a really high ceiling and still a really high floor, you're not sure. You're never sure until they're done and retired and been retired for five years or more. You just don't know. So trading those picks for a proven talent has gotten them in position to make the playoffs, but I'm not completely sold because they haven't won a Super Bowl. That's what they need to say, this is this is the way. Yeah, historically, these dream teams that are put together normally don't come out and win a Super Bowl. You look at Philadelphia, I believe it's 2010, 2011, they assemble what they called the dream team. Didn't win a Super Bowl with it, weren't even successful with it. Then you look at this Rams team, 2018. It was the closest we've ever seen to it. All the talent they brought in, Marcus Peters, Brandon Cooks, Aqib Tlaib, they brought in so much talent to go in to win that Super Bowl. Doesn't happen. Now you're at the point where they've gone in to try to win that Super Bowl, so it's really at the point of no return. And until they win one, it's never going to be worth it because when you look at the future of this team, it's not really there. These players you have under big-time contracts, they're going to age and be aged by the time you get a first-round pick again. You won't have a first-round pick until 2024. And fun fact, the Rams' last first-round pick they used in the actual draft was 2016 to draft Jared Goff. They didn't pick in 17, 18, 19, 20. They haven't done it, and they're not going to pick in 21, 22, or 23 now. So when you look at it, does it make you successful right away? Yes. And that's why McVay's been so successful right off the bat. And he was regarded as one of the high, best coaches in the league because he was successful right away with his team. His team has been stacked. And it's going to be interesting to see in the future what happens with this team because there's a lot of money and there's a lot of draft picks that have been slung around to make this team possible. And now when you look at a little bit here, the future of this team, we've talked about the now, what this does for them now. If we don't see the Rams win this Super Bowl in the next few years, if this Matthew Stafford trade doesn't work out, let's say, could that lead to the firing of McVay and Les Snead? And McVay's contract is up in 2023, so his contract's up before they have a first-round pick again. It, I don't think it leads to an outright firing. I think it's going to be something like what happened with Chuck Pagano this year with the Bears' defensive coordinator. He was at the end of the, his deal, and they just kind of let him go. They don't rehire. And I think that's going to be what happens if they don't have some success. That might, the definition of success here might change depending on ownership, but I would have to imagine it's deep, multiple deep postseason runs. That's what has to be, if not a Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. And I think it's a little sneaky what Sean McVay has done here. And I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but when you look at what's been structured here, Sean McVay's contract's up in 2023. The Rams get don't have a first-round pick until 2023, but they've loaded up on talent until 2023. All these guys are under contract until then. So if McVay was to have an unsuccessful season in 2022-2023, He's able to just walk out of the Rams organization and go somewhere else. 
He's a highly successful coach, very good offensive play caller. He could go anywhere and get a job. If he was to hit the market, he would instantly be the first person hired by any team that was interviewing. He could, if this goes south, just walk out of the Rams and say, okay, you guys don't have first-round picks and haven't had one since 2016, but I did what I could. I I didn't win a Super Bowl. I'm going to leave, go somewhere else, because let's say a job opens up somewhere you see, um, for just wild example here, probably not, not going to happen, but a team like Kansas City, if Andy Reid decides he wants to retire, he wins a couple rings back-to-back, he wants to retire. McVay can just walk out and be like, hey, see you guys, I'm going here. It's interesting. The landscape of the NFL could completely change in two to three seasons. So McVay's contract being up and trading all those picks to get the proven talent to win now, I think is a good strategy by him to also, if he does want to stay with the Rams, really make his record look phenomenal. And why would you ever get rid of a guy with such a good record? So I think he's setting himself up for success either way if it's to leave or to stay with the organization. Now we're going to look at talking coaches here. We're going to look at the coaching cycle we had this offseason. There was quite a few big names as well as some guys that you probably have never heard of. We're going to grade them A to F in this scenario. And we're going to start out with the Texans. And this is the one I was talking about when I said you probably never heard of him. Is David Coley. He was an offensive assistant with the Baltimore Ravens. David, what are you grading this one? I'm giving it a D. I would give it an F, but they moved on from Bill O'Brien, so that's automatic up a letter grade. But he just hasn't... I think he's kind of going to... He's not going to make big moves, and he's he's kind of going to be under the thumb of ownership and the GM, and I don't think he's going to try and stand up and do what is best for his players in order to have them succeed and win. Yeah, I'm, I was a little worse on them than you were, so that means I gave them an F in this scenario. And I give him an F because I look at a few things, just the, what he's done over his career. I don't know if you guys remember, but the Kansas City Chiefs once went 16 games in a row, or even maybe a little bit more, without a receiver scoring a touchdown for them. He was on the offensive staff there. I don't know. He wasn't the offensive coordinator, but he was the passing game coordinator, I do believe, was his title there. Where'd he come from? The Baltimore Ravens. He's an offensive assistant there in their passing game. The Ravens' passing game has been struggling for the last two years. It's at times can be do well because you do have Lamar Jackson, who's an elite QB, but it has really struggled and let the Ravens down when they needed it at the most. So there's another knock against him. And this isn't even a knock against him. There's just other options better that were out there. You look at Eric Bieniemy from Kansas City. That's a guy that Sean Watson said he wanted interviewed. You hire him, he probably doesn't want to leave anymore. He'd probably be more willing to stick around in Houston. But you don't even give him an interview until Deshaun's already made it public. He wants out. And you do give him an interview and don't even give him a second interview like you did with David Coley. I, that's for me why it's an F because it could be a C or a D but when you look at it not many people wanted this job because Sean Watson wanted out but Biennemi was the one guy you knew probably would make him stay and you didn't even give him a second interview this one for me it's got to be an F I don't expect too much success out of them especially if the, after they have to get rid of Deshaun Watson I really don't know where they're going to go from there they're going to have a ton of picks 
But, I mean, can they convert those picks? I don't know. They have Nick Casario as the GM in New England. He hasn't done a great job converting draft picks recently. So, I think it's going to be interesting. I don't think that we see him be successful. That's why I give him an F. Now we move to the Detroit Lions. Hired Dan Campbell. He's a tight ends coach of the New Orleans Saints. David, what do you grade this one as? Uh, I'm giving this one a flat-out F. If you've watched the his like introduction press conference, <laughs> that was probably the weirdest press conference I've ever watched. Agreed. Um, it. I wish we had audio of that so we could play it. Was, it was wild. But... He seems not like an X's and O's guy, someone like Sean McVay who's going to be calling the plays and tinkering with either the offense or the defense. He seems like someone who they want to like crack down on the team, and that's kind of what Matt Patricia was. And Matt Patricia was terrible for the Lions. He was not good, and I think Dan Campbell is going to be like Matt Patricia but worse. Yeah, I agree with you. You made a great point. It's the same as your last coach. He really doesn't have much play-calling duties with him. He's never had a play-calling duty. He was a tight ends coach of the Saints. Everyone's saying Eric Bieniemy isn't getting hired because he's not calling plays. Dan Campbell's a tight ends coach. How does that make sense? But that's a different story. Then when you look at this team, if you, just a normal person, couldn't buy in, to wanting to bite kneecaps off to get your team hyped up. How do you expect the players to? I mean, I don't, I don't really buy into that very much. He was the interim coach in Miami. Uh, I believe it was about 2009, 2010. Also, wasn't great doing that. So his resume, not very good. Never called plays. Pes- press conference was something interesting, to say the least. So I gave it a D. I didn't like it very much. Uh, not really much there for him to do either. I don't know if this is going to be like a quick head coaching, just brought him in, gave him the job, and he's going to be gone a couple of years for when some more people come out. But I just can't picture him lasting very long in Detroit. I know a couple former Lions players have said, oh, he knows the Lions culture because he was an assistant coach. He's assistant coach the year they went 0-16. So if that's the culture you want to bring back, by all means, go for it. Now I move to the New York Jets, and this one's the first hire that I think we've talked about that's actually a somewhat good hire, and that's Robert Sala. David, what'd you grade this one? Uh, a plus. Robert Sala was a great defensive coordinator for the 49ers, a just dominant defense. And then this year, even as they're like torn the defense is torn apart by injuries, he's still they were still a good defense, even with substitute-level players. And he gets that little extra like extra plus because they got rid of Adam Gase. <laughs> and when I tell you a cactus is better than Adam Gase, I am not exaggerating. <laughs> Anyone is better than Adam Gase. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's hard to not improve from Adam Gates, so obviously I give this one an A as well. There's a few things I think he's going to do with the Jets right away. That's going to He's going to create a culture there, and that's what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch did in San Francisco. They immediately created a culture. They weren't successful their first two years there, but after their first full season, they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo. 
there was a lot of a lot of excitement behind that team. The culture was there, and you saw it in 2019. That's why they seamlessly went right into the playoffs, were successful in the playoffs, went to the Super Bowl, and were six minutes away from dethroning what's probably going to be the next dynasty of the NFL. It's that culture they built. Salah's going to take that to New York with them. He gets the most out of his players. The defense that the Niners had this year ranked, I think it was yards-wise, ranked sixth best defense uh, in the league. That's what it ranked out as as the season ended. He was without most of his starters for a lot of the year. I don't think there was a single game other than maybe week one. Even week one, he was missing a couple guys. There wasn't a game this year where all 11 starters played. There wasn't one. And there was games where there was five or six playing, but the defense never let him down. I think that's the most impressive thing that Salah's done in San Francisco is he's kept a top defensive unit with all the injuries. That proves to me he can go to a bad team and coach them up. He can get them to improve. I like the staff he's brought together with him, LaFleur's little brother. I think he's going to be a big piece there. Mike McDaniel and him didn't get enough credit in San Francisco. I think he's going to get it there. And you look at what he's able to do with players. There's going to be Niners players that they aren't going to be able to afford to bring back or there's going to decide to let walk who are going to go right to the Jets, hop right on the plane, and go straight to New York to join Robert Sala. He had such a just cult. He was so big in building that culture that so many players loved him. He had so much hype around him. He was a fantastic hire by the Jets. I think he's he can shift that team around. Will he do it with Sam Darnold? Will he take a rookie QB? That's going to be something to watch. But I love the hire right there. We're going to take our second break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we get back, we're going to go ahead and finish up their coaching hirings. Then we're going to talk about the big game. We're going to dissect it before we get into some MLB news, some big trades that have gone down. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm Logan Howe. With me is David Meyer. And we're going to go ahead and keep continuing to grade our coaches here. Our next coach we have here is one that shocked me. It was the Jaguars hiring Urban Meyer, former Ohio State head coach. David, what do you grade this one at? I'm giving it a B-. minus. It's, I think it's an interesting hire. It's really boom or bust. He's coming into a situation where they have the first overall pick presumably Trevor Lawrence, they have a lot of cap space and some young talent that can succeed. But there are questions of how he's going to transfer from college. He was very successful, had a 85% win percentage. How he's going to transfer that to the NFL and how is that transfer going to work? There's also questions about his health, and I know, I don't know for sure, but there's a lot of talk of uh, college football is not half as stressful as the NFL, so there's more stress on him and his health. So it's boom or bust, really. I think it's an interesting hire, but I'm I'm not completely sold. Yeah, for me, I gave it a B. Um, obviously it's the big name it's going to sell tickets in Jacksonville it's going to bring excitement to Jacksonville bringing in Urban Meyer he now he gets a chance to work with Trevor Lawrence I think both those two by themselves bring they could possibly sell out Jacksonville Stadium next year that's two huge names that you brought into the fold there 
And the one thing, this is going to be a tough test, but he's been a winner at nearly every program he's been at. He's worked his way up at Utah, at Florida, at Ohio State. He just wins. He's been successful everywhere he went. And we've seen college coaches come to the pro game and struggle. You look at Chip Kelly, Nick Saban, all guys that have made the transition and not done well. There's also been college coaches that come in and do well. One, Jim Harbaugh. It just it you never really know what's gonna work and what's not going to work. But Urban Meyer has enough respect as a football coach in general that I think it makes him successful here. He has some nice pieces to work with. Obviously, DJ Chark. Then you look at James Robinson on the offense. And then defensively, they have some young stars there. Some guys that don't get a lot of recognition now, but a good team, some more primetime games, would get them that recognition. And that's exactly what he's going to get if he gets Trevor Lawrence as those primetime games. I'll give it a B for now. And I think it's I think it'll work out well for him just because I think Lawrence is going to be successful. I expect maybe even seeing bring in Alex Smith to kind of mentor Trevor Lawrence. I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence is not starting day one, but just have Alex Smith there as a backup to kind of help him out. We saw him transition Kaepernick and Patrick Mahomes. So I think that would be a good fit for him. Now we're looking at the L.A. Chargers. They make a big hire here, and they steal their L.A. counterpart, the Rams defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley. What do you rank this one at? I'm giving it a C. I He's a good defensive coach, and he's going to be – good opposite of the offense that's already really talented with Justin Herbert in LA but he's just not proven to me yet he was one year with the Rams they were the top defense in the league but there's also a lot of talent there and they would have been a top unit with almost any coach it's just he's young which worries me with the lack of experience but I think adding a defensive mind to that offense that's already very good and just hopefully getting better clock management and game awareness that they were lacking with Anthony Lynn. Yeah, for me, I gave it a B-. minus. So we're about the same ballpark there. For me, I would have loved the offensive hire here. And I know their offense is what was, it's what was good for them last year. But I don't want to possibly stunt the growth of Justin Herbert whatsoever. I want him to be successful once again. Last year had probably, you could argue, the best rookie season by a QB ever. Set a lot of the records. And that is something that's not thrown around lightly. You look at guys like Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, who walked into the NFL and were successful. And they they did have good careers. So... I think I would have gone offense there just to make sure that that still works out. But there's a lot of weapons on the offense to work with. He brought in a former coach with the Rams. So it's going to be that Shanahan system once again. We're starting to see that kind of spread all around the NFL. Everyone's poaching assistants from San Francisco, from the Rams. They want, And even the Green Bay, they all run that same system because they all came from Washington together in the early 2010s. But... I think that's going to be good for that offense and Herbert, especially Keenan Allen is going and when there's a number one receiver in that system, they tend to really thrive. So I, I like Keenan Allen there. And I loved your point that you made about him getting this job. My first question when I, when I saw that he got hired was, are you sure that's the way you want to go? Yes, he had a top defense, but you're playing with the best corner in the game. Then also the best defensive player in general in the NFL is on your defensive line. And not to mention in the secondary, they also, they're not big names, but fantastic players. John Johnson, Darius Williams. There's some guys there that 
you like what they Jordan Fuller too as well. You like what they put on tape. Are you sure you want to go with the guy who walked in to one of the most talented defenses of the league and made the number one? It's something we're going to find the answer to. That's why I'm, I have a B minus there. But I think he could do well for them. They just need to make sure that Justin Herbert continues to be successful. Now we look at the Atlanta Falcons. They bring in former Tennessee offensive coordinator Arthur Smith. What are you ranking this higher at? Uh, I'm going with a B minus. I'm not going to lie. I don't know too much about Arthur Smith. He's a young guy. And from being the Titans offensive coordinator, it seems like he's going to be kind of run first. That's what they had talent-wise, at least, with the Titans. But it worries me because that's just not what the Falcons are right now. They don't... Yeah, they have Todd Gurley. There's still some injury questions there, and they don't even know if he's coming back. So he did a good job of getting other uh, staff around him that I think is going to raise him up, but I'm not entirely sold. Yeah, this one, I think he can be very successful. I gave it a B plus, and I gave it that because I think this situation in Atlanta is one of the better ones to step into, in my opinion. When you look at what he was able to do in Tennessee, they took on Ryan Tannehill's kind of a project. And he turned into wildly successful and borderline tier two QB. That's what he turned into for the Tennessee Titans. And at one point this season, people were saying he was an MVP candidate. He was playing that well about midseason. Now he gets a chance to work with Matt Ryan, a former MVP. All the weapons that they have, it's a stacked offense, young offensive line. They spent multiple first-round picks on it. You have Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones. They've said they're not trading Ryan or Julio Jones. They want to be successful with this team. I think that's going to be huge for them. I think when you work with Ryan Tannehill, you can transition to Matt Ryan, and it's not going to hurt you a whole lot. When he took this job, he was able to get Dean Pease out of retirement. He was D coordinator in Baltimore when C.J. Mosey was still there. It was about 2016, 2017, and they were a dominant defense, top five each year. Then he goes off to Tennessee. They have a good defense, and then he retired. But now he's coming out of retirement to be the defensive coordinator here. It's a widely respected coach. I like that hiring. And all you have to do with this team is you have a lot of veterans, a lot of veterans that are already primed to be successful. You just have to come in and hit on a couple draft picks to fill a couple gaps and keep your players healthy. And this team can go as far as Arthur Smith can take them because they have all the talent in the world to get to the postseason once again. I think they can with Arthur Smith. I like the hire a lot. I think it's going to be a good one for them. And now we look at the Philadelphia Eagles. And this team, you could argue this and Houston are probably the worst two spots you could end up when you look at the situations they both have there. They hired Nick Sirianni, the Indianapolis Colts, former offensive coordinator. David, what does this get ranked for you? I'm giving it a B. He was he was a good coordinator with the Colts that, you know, that offense took a major step back when they lost Andrew Luck, but he still had some success there with Phillip Rivers. Just the situation is so bad, and uh, his introduction press conference, he just, he, it didn't look good. 
he didn't look prepared at all. So there's there's worry about that. But he is surrounding himself with good staff. So I think he can be a good coach. And there's very little room to go down with the Eagles. So I think it's almost impossible to get worse. Yeah, this hiring for me was surprising. I was surprised by it. I know it was a name that was being tossed around, but I never thought the Eagles would land there with it. When you look at Frank Wright and what he was able to do with the Colts, he was very successful with them. And then obviously Shirani was the OC there. But then also, it kind of scares me a little bit, Frank Wright was the OC in Philadelphia, and Doug Peterson was very successful, and a lot of people held Doug Peterson in high regard because of that. Then once he leaves, not as successful. That's my only worry about this one, is is it really Frank Wright and his system that in this play calling that is getting this team these teams to be successful? I'm worried about that, but also Frank Wright probably recommended this job to him. He's worked with Carson Wentz, and Carson Wentz was the MVP under this under this system with Frank Wright. Obviously, no, he did not win it, but he was one knee injury away from being MVP. He was that successful during that season. They needed an offensive mind. I know they just got rid of one, but they needed someone to help that quarterback room a lot. Carson Wentz needs to get back on track if that's what you decide to do. It's a lot of money to just move on from, a lot of dead cap there. But if you move on to Jalen Hurts, you need that offensive mind for him to have him be successful. And this is just a tough position to be in. I gave it a C, but it's just tough. It's a real tough spot to be in. He took this job, and I think he's going to he's going to take a lot of a lot of heat. Philadelphia Eagles fans, they can be ruthless at times. They want success right away. So it's a tough job. But obviously, I think Frank Wright has a say in this one and getting him to Philadelphia. And I hope he can turn things around with Carson Wentz because he's a fun player to watch. And now we're going to move into probably the biggest topic that we have so far tonight, the Super Bowl, NFL's biggest game. And when you look at these two teams, it's going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they're going to play Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. The game place, the game is going to take place in Tampa Bay, Florida, and this is the first time you've ever had a team playing in the Super Bowl playing at their home stadium. And we've seen our first kind of problem with it. They want to fire off their, I believe it's their cannons that they shoot when they score touchdowns. The NFL said no, that they cannot do that. And they said they have a little plan up their sleeve for the sound there, but interested to see what they do there. But to get into this game a little bit, talk about two star-studded teams going up against each other. You have Patrick Mahomes, who is the up-and-coming best quarterback in the NFL, and Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback to ever touch a football field. He has the statistics, he has the rings, he has it all. Now, the biggest question in this game, can Patrick Mahomes ever catch Tom Brady as the greatest quarterback of all time? It's possible. He's been very successful very early, but we've seen guys who have been really successful really early either like falter later in their career or just completely fall off right away. So I think Mahomes will be good in this league for a long time, but you have to be good for... He has to be good specifically for 15-plus years as one of the greatest players in the league and also have a good supporting cast. So it's going to be hard to catch Tom Brady, but it's a possibility. 
Yeah, I agree. It's going to be very difficult. Yes, I think he can do it, but that road's going to be tough. When you look at quarterbacks, and his money hasn't even kicked in yet. So his contract, his massive deal that he signed, has not kicked in yet. So we're not seeing a $45 million-plus cap hit from him quite yet. Once that happens, you're going to lose some of these good players around you. And Tom Brady's been the guy that's always taken pay cuts to keep good players around him. It's been phenomenal what he's done as a quarterback. And when you look at a little fun fact here, when if Patrick Mahomes wins this Sunday, he'll become the second QB ever to win two Super Bowls in his first four seasons. The only other one, Tom Brady, the person he's going up against. So he's on track to do it. But what separates these two for me right now is Patrick, Patrick Mahomes, as he gets older, is going to have to become just so smart within the game. When you look at Tom Brady... And what's made him the greatest, in my opinion, is he doesn't have an arm, a rocket for an arm, like Aaron Rodgers. But when he's out there, he's always the smartest player on the field at all times. He knows where everyone's going to be at. He can identify coverages. And that's why you can throw 40 touchdowns when you're 43 years old and not be the most talented. You look at Joe Montana. He was a guy, never had the strongest arm. Dan Marino was always, and John Elway always had the strongest arm beat both of them in Super Bowls because he's always the smartest guy on the field. He knows when to make throws and what sets up another. And that's something that can't be taught. And Dan Orlowski did a great take, great uh, film session today where he was talking about Tom Brady. The Packers came out in a full man look. They did a mo- The Buccaneers had a motion. Linebacker followed. Full man look. It was really a cover two. And he identified it as Darius Smith was free rushing in his face on fourth and five and picked it up. The next play, he hit Scotty Miller for the long touchdown right before halftime that really set the Buccaneers up to win that game. That's what Patrick Mahomes is going to have to um, really come forward and step up to be. When you're 35, 36-year-old and your arm isn't like it was now where you can just rock it for an arm, throw it all over, you have to be the smartest player on the field, dissect the defense, and take what it gives you and make those big throws. And that's what Brady's done time in and time out. So I think that's going to be what he has to do to catch him. Can he? Yes. Sunday is a big step in doing that. Now, when you look at both sides here, we'll start with Tampa Bay. What do you expect to see from the Buccaneers on Sunday? I think, well, I think we're going to see this from both sides. Just an absolute air raid throwing the ball downfield all game long. It's going to be such a high-scoring game. These offenses are so great, and you've seen good defenses. These teams both have pretty solid defenses. You saw against the Rams and the Packers, you saw the Packers shred the number one rated defense. So defense just doesn't matter as much in this league. So these offenses are going to go absolutely off and the Buccaneers even with a little less arm strength in Tom Brady's arm is still gonna throw the ball downfield a lot yeah for me I'm gonna focus on the defense a little bit when I look at the Buccaneers the first time they played Tyreek Hill had over 200 yards in the first quarter of their matchup you cannot let that happen Tampa Bay loves to just play man-to-man blitz a lot rush for 
it doesn't matter what they do up front. They love to play man-to-man in the back end, and they can get away with it against most teams because Carlton Davis stepped up big. He did a good job against Devontae Adams. He's done a good job all postseason long. Sean Murphy Bunting as well has an interception in every game so far this postseason. But you cannot do that with this Chiefs offense. Yes, you have to go man-to-man, but you have to you have to use your safeties very wisely with this with your matchups. When I look at this defense, I they did Carlton Davis man to man just one on one with Tyreek Hill for most of the game. That cannot happen. You cannot leave it like that. You need to bracket coverage him. You need Carlton Davis lined up on Tyreek Hill. Always have a safety bracketing him the whole entire time. Hill cannot beat you. Then where I think the Buccaneers also have an advantage here is they have two of the fastest linebackers in the NFL, Devin White and Levante David. Devin White, while yes, he's very fast, he does struggle in pass coverage. So I know he had said, alluded to during the week, which could just be a smokescreen, that they're going to have Levante David follow Travis Kelsey all game long. That would be huge if they can get success out of their linebackers covering Kelsey. It's going to be tough. I don't think they can sustain it all game long. Last Super Bowl, you saw Richard Sherman follow Travis Kelsey quite a bit. So I think it's going to be a good matchup to watch there. But if they can get their linebackers to be able to guard Kelsey reliably and bracket Tyreek Hill, it's going to be an interesting game because I like the pass rush of the Tampa Bay defense, especially with that Chiefs O-line right now. Now we're going to look at the Chiefs a little bit. What do you expect to see from them? Uh, As I alluded to earlier, it's going to be air raid. They had, during the season, the most... uh, most passing yards per game, most passing yards total, they're going to be throwing the ball downfield a lot, especially with how much arm strength Patrick Mahomes has and the speed of Tyreek Hill and the receivers on the Chiefs. It's going to be a very high-scoring game. And if you're a betting person, hammer the over. Absolutely. And when I look at this Chiefs, what I expect to see from them, I'm looking at the offense here. You're going up against that Tampa Bay defense. You need to spread them out. A lot of empty looks. Also, you can keep your running back in, but you know they're going to come at you in man-to-man. So you're going to have sh- you're going to have shots across the middle there. You need to take them. And I like I want to see a lot of inward breaking routes against that man-to-man coverage. Patrick Mahomes against the blitz has been phenomenal. 17 touchdowns, no interceptions. I want to see those inward breaking routes across the middle. Get the ball out of your hands, make the plays, and that's what they're going to be able to do. When you're in man-to-man coverage, you don't have help anywhere else. Obviously, if you bracket Tyreek Hill, yes, you'll have help there, but you're not going to have help. One wrong step, and now that receiver has a couple yards separation, and Patrick Mahomes will bang it on them every single time. And now we're going to look up all the matchups here in the Super Bowl, and we're going to give an edge to each side as we go through here, we're going to start with the quarterback position. Who has the edge, Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady? I'm going with Tom Brady. It's just the experience that he's had and the intelligence at that position. It's so high that it's almost unmatched. You see Patrick Mahomes making occasional mistakes, choosing to throw it downfield when he should check it down to a running back or a tight end. Tom Brady is not going to make that mistake. He's not as mobile, but he's he's just smarter. And I think that matters a lot. Yeah, and this one, 
it's hard to pick against Tom Brady, and I never do it. I never like to do it. But I am going to go with Patrick Mahomes in this one. And I'm going to because right now he's nearly unstoppable. The Chiefs are a video game with Patrick Mahomes at the helm. He's able to just move around back there, and right when you think you have him sacked, he makes the big play. And one thing I would question is experience. But last season, he was he gained a lot of experience rapidly, falling down by 10 points after a turnover with six minutes to go. And he stormed the Chiefs back, scored 21 unanswered points in the final six minutes. It was phenomenal. It was something that you don't see a second, third-year QB do. And it's exactly what he did. Patrick Mahomes is one of the most talented quarterbacks to ever step on a field. Tom Brady is also equally as talented as him. When you look at just pure arm talent, yes, you're going to give it to Mahomes, but just overall accolades, stats, whatever you want to look at, Tom Brady has it all. I'm going with Mahomes in this matchup because I think everything else around him as well helps him out a little bit more than Tom Brady. Now we look at the running back situation. Who has the edge in this matchup? I'm giving the edge to... Uh, the Chiefs, it's not so much that the running backs are more talented, but what they can do with them. We know both of these teams want to throw the ball. And I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire and Le'Veon Bell, that one two punch you have, is going to be able to catch the ball and make defenders miss. And that's going to be so influential to open up that long passing game, that deep threat. And even the, these guys can still go deep and be effective. That one-two punch, as soon as one comes out, the other is in. It's going to be super effective, and I give it the edge over Tampa Bay. Yeah, and this one, I am going to go with Tampa Bay in this one. I'm going to give it to him because Laren Fournette surprised me last week a lot. Out of the backfield, he was making plays for Tom Brady and then also running the ball. His touchdown he scored there was a great. He had a lot of good moves. Then you look at Ronald Jones. He's such a good running back as a number two. For most teams, he could step in and be a number one, but he's a number two in Tampa Bay, and they both use them equally as well. My only question marks with uh, Clyde and Le'Veon is obviously, obviously health with Clyde. And then when you look at uh, Le'Veon Bell, his just production just hasn't been there this season. I just think they're getting more production out of those Tampa Bay backs. But when you look at the running back situation on both sides, definitely good situations to have. And I think it's going to be possibly even an X factor in this one. We're talking about teams want to throw the ball, but which one of these running backs make the big plays when everyone's backing coverage and they do a halfback draw? That's really what's going to be interesting in this matchup. Now we look at the battle of the wide receivers. You look at Tyreek Hill, or you looking at Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, and also Antonio Brown. I, I think the best wide receiver on the field is going to be Tyreek Hill, but having three number one wide receivers to spread out that defense and that secondary and being able to hit any one of them on any given play is just so important. Tom Brady has found a connection with all three of these guys, a little bit less with Mike Evans, but it's still, those wide receivers are so talented, and with how smart Tom Brady is, he's going to be able to take a take advantage of any small mistake that the secondary gives him, and it's just going to be so big with how good and how the the fact that there are three solid wide receivers on that team 
Yeah, it's hard to argue with that one. I, I agree. Tyreek Hill's the best. But then when you look at those three, you really can't pick against those guys. All three phenomenal wide receivers. The Chiefs' big, biggest argument is tight end. Travis Kelsey would be, I guess you could classify him as a wide receiver as well as a tight end because he does so much work out of the slot for them. But Tampa Bay has so many weapons on this offense, and I think that's another reason why they're going to have a lot of success. It's going to be hard to cover all these receivers. You look at what they're going to try to do, the Honey Badger is going to have to play all over the place. He's going to have to confuse Tom Brady and get him to throw a ball that he doesn't want to. That's going to be the most interesting thing in this matchup. Can these receivers confuse Tyron Mathieu, or is it going to be Mathieu that's confusing those confusing Tom Brady and the Buccaneers offense because someone has to make the plays and I think the receivers there get the edge because a guy like Antonio Brown he's played in the postseason before he's made big plays in the postseason in games that matter Mike Evans and Chris Godwin they haven't been here yet this is the first time in the playoffs this is the first time where they're in the Super Bowl so it's going to be an interesting matchup and now we go to tight end here and this one it's hard to argue but uh which one are you going with Uh, Travis Kelsey yep Straight up, Gronk is good. He was a solid option in New England, but he's definitely lost his step. And I don't think even at his prime, he was as good as Travis Kelsey is. Yeah, Travis Kelsey for me as well. And when you look at the two, prime Gronk was the huge touchdown scorer. He was a massive blocker, was never a real route running threat and that's exactly exactly what Travis Kelsey is he's a massive route runner he gets open all the time he scores a lot of touchdowns not Gronk like Gronk I believe had 17 touchdowns one year he has the the NFL record for most touchdowns in a single season by a tight end but I gotta give it to Kelsey here Gronk is old now and this is Travis Kelsey's time when Kelsey's done I think he'll go down as the best tight end in NFL history so it'll be interesting as well. Now we're going to look at the offensive line here. You going with Kansas City or Tampa Bay? I'm going with Tampa Bay. Uh, just looking at some uh, a little more advanced stats by uh, football reference, Patrick Mahomes was pressured 22% of the time on dropbacks. Uh, Tom Brady was only pressured 17% of the time. He has more time to throw and is going to take advantage of that as well as uh, Kansas City's line is beat up and there's been some injuries. So even more so, I'm giving it to Tampa. Yeah, for me, I would have went Kansas City if they weren't all those injuries. Obviously, left tackle towards Achilles against Buffalo. And Mitchell Schwartz also had an injury earlier in the year, and he's not going to be back. If both of them are healthy and playing, I'd go with Kansas City. But they're not. So I have to go with Tampa Bay in this one. And when you look at what they have across their line, at center, Ryan Jensen, he's, he's phenomenal. He does a really good job for him, And he's really, he's one of those guys that sets the tone for that offense. He's always finishing blocks, getting the pancakes. He is phenomenal for them. You look at Ali Marpet, Tristan Wurfs, Donovan Smith, all those guys do really well on the offensive line. And that's why Tom Brady's been so successful this year. He's one of the best quarterbacks at navigating the pocket. And when you have a good offensive line like that, it makes it even easier for him. Now we're going to move into the defensive side of the ball. We're going to look at the defensive line. Who wins this matchup for you? I'm giving it to the Buccaneers again. They've just wrecked havoc on pretty much any 
opposing line that they've gone against. Getting Vita Vea back again uh, was so pivotal to stopping the run and wreaking havoc in the pass game. Again, looking at hurry percentage, they've hurried passers 10% of the time, while Kansas City is much lower at 8.9% of the time. So there is a pretty big difference there, and I think Tampa is going to take advantage of that. Yeah, I'm going with Tampa Bay as well. And they're going to have to take advantage of that if they want to win this football game. They have to get to Patrick Mahomes, and they have to do it for four four quarters. We've seen Patrick Mahomes make a Super Bowl, deal with a monstrous defensive line, and come out on top. They have to do it for four quarters. And with both these tackles out, they're going to be able to eat Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett. Shaq Barrett's playing for a new contract, had three sacks in the NFC Championship game. He has a good performance in the Super Bowl. He's going to be looking at about 20 to $25 million a year if he's able to have a massive game in the Super Bowl. And he can. He's going up against a backup tackle. But Andy Reid is going to have to find a way to scheme around this monstrous pass rush for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now we move to the secondary. You like Tampa or you like Kansas City? I'm giving this one to Tampa as well. And really it's, again, with the stats, the yards per play is much lower for the Buccaneers than it is for uh, the Chiefs. Jeez, I can't think today. Uh, so they're giving up a lot more yards per play, and I think that that matters a lot, having a good secondary to... You're not going to slow down Patrick Mahomes. You're not going to stop him, but if you can slow him down just a little bit, you can take advantage and put up some points. Yeah, for me... I love Tampa Bay's secondary. I love Carlton Davis, Jamal Dean. They do a fantastic job. Antoine Winfield Jr., who I don't know if he's going to play in this matchup. He was a guy who was questionable throughout most of the week. But I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs secondary in this one. And I'm going to go with them because of one player, Tyron Mathieu. He's the best player on both sides, secondary-wise. But then you also you look at uh, Traverius Ward, Bashar Breeland, Legereus Sneed. Then you look at Daniel Sorson, Juan Thornhill. They have a deep secondary. Statistically, they're not they're not the best. But when you look at them, they're playing with Patrick Mahomes, who's going to put up 30 points and have a lead right away. Teams are going to be passing on them a lot. So that could skew that statistic there. I like the Chiefs secondary in this one. Both have a very underrated secondary. Neither of them have just a huge top five player. But for me, Matthew puts them over the top. And now we're going to look at lastly here before we take our next break is the special teams of the Kansas City Chiefs or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Who do you like here? I'm giving it to the Buccaneers. It's it's close, but what puts it over the edge is a couple just I really love the not so much the uh place kicking or the field goal kicking, but more the punting and not giving up touchbacks on punts is really important and the punter for the Buccaneers has only given up two this entire season and field position is one of the most important things in football so I'm going with the Buccaneers 
Yeah, Bradley Pun- Bradley Pinion has done a great job for Tampa Bay with the punting this year. Ryan Suckup as well. But I'm going to go with the Chiefs because I like one, I like their field goal kicker a lot. Harrison Bucker is one of the best kickers in the league, one of the most consistent. One of the games this year, I can't remember who they played exactly, had three kicks that he had to make 50 yards plus to win the game. The timeout, another timeout, and then he finally hits the game winner. It was impressive what he's done. And then also when I look at who's returning for this team, you look at Mecole Hardman, electric returner, that punt and kick returner. And let's say, like in Buffalo, he fumbles the ball. Ah, I wonder who goes back there. Tyreek Hill, the most electric player in football in general. Fastest guy in the game. He's a great returner. I like him back there. Now we're going to take our last break here on Sportsman Like Conduct. When we come back, we finally get into some baseball here. We get into some big trades that have gone down, some big faces in new places. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Unsportsman Like Conduct. Now we're going to move into the MLB news. We've had quite a few big trades. We've had some big names re-sign with their teams. But the biggest one that we want to get to right away, Nolan Arenado of the Rockies gets traded to the NL Central, the St. Louis Cardinals. David, when you look at this trade, was this a steal for the Cardinals? Absolutely. As a Cubs fan, I'm terrified because the Cardinals are, one, actually making moves, and it's a it's an okay contract it's not super extensive they give up four prospects which you never know what that those prospects are going to turn into but for Nolan Arenado and making the Rockies kick in an additional 51 million of his contract is just an insane trade it's an absolute highway robbery and this from a quote from the Rockies owners, owner Dick Monfort. There were 10 times the last two weeks I didn't think the St. Louis deal made sense. That's all that needs to be said. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a steal. When I saw the trade, I was like, okay, well, I wonder what they gave up. And I saw what they gave up, and I, wow, it was really nothing. And you look at prospects, sometimes they do work out well. You look at the Yankees, the White Sox, they've had a couple work out well for them. But other times they don't, and you'll never see those players play for your organization on the major league level. And you talked about it. It's what really gets me is the $50 million that they kicked in with it. You you kicked in $50 million to get rid of your best player. It's, it's wild. It's interesting for sure. And when you look at it, the Cardinals, when you look at it in their side, they get a player here for nothing. And they're a team that feels like they can compete within the NL Central to begin with. And now you add a huge addition at the third base spot. I think that's very key for this team moving forward. And in my opinion, I do think it makes them now the team to beat in the NL Central. I think it was pretty open going into this year. Yes, the Cubs won it last year, but it was pretty open for someone to take over. The Cardinals made the move that did it. We saw the Cubs have subtracted a couple big names. The Brewers have added a pretty decent name as well, but nothing like this. This is a huge move. I think it shifts the power of the NL Central. Absolutely. They're, the Cardinals right now are the team to beat. Really what they have to do for the rest of the offseason is re-sign Yadier Molina. That's, and maybe add some you know, high, a low-risk, high-reward guys. But other than that, they're pretty set. 
Yeah, and it's a it's a move I feel like they need to make too to keep up with the NL. You look at the Padres make some big moves, and obviously it's all about catching the Dodgers at this point. They are a stacked roster, and this helps them. I've seen a lot of statistics tossed around about his about Arenado's stats in Colorado being better than when he plays at different ballparks. Is that something that worries you? Ah, uh, the Coors effect. Um, not too much. There are one perfect example, DJ LeMahieu. He was really a solid player for the Rockies. He leaves. Can he be as good of a player? No, he's better away from Coors. Well, he does move to the Yankees, and Yankee Stadium is very hitter-friendly. But still, he's gotten even better away from the Rockies. Yeah, I think he's a player that's going to succeed well with Paul Goldschmidt there in St. Louis. I like that trade a lot for them. Now we're going to move into another NL team here, and they're able to retain some of their talent, and that's the Phillies. Didi Gregorius and JT Romuto re-signed with the team Romuto on a long-term extension. When you look at both these names, did they need to bring both these guys back? Was it imperative? Uh, JT, for sure. He is the best catcher in the game right now and I thought he was gonna move on to a different team but re-signing JT Real Mudo is the best thing the Phillies could do this offseason keeping Didi Gregorius is good he had some struggles in the shortened season it's tough because the shortened season was so short so evaluations there are a little rough but re-signing the best catcher in baseball is so impactful. Yeah, and I think that's why it made a move that they absolutely had to make. You can't just let talent like that walk out the door, especially without a trade or something to get some prospects or something back. You can't just let him leave like that. And then to talk about Didi a little bit, while no, they didn't absolutely need him back, it's a solid veteran guy. A career 265 hitter, very good defensively, and he's very good at getting on base. And that's just something I think is going to be key for the Phillies moving forward. And what do they need? Do you think this helps them improve off of last season? Can they get better than what they showed last year? Yeah, they can. Uh, what they need to focus on is pitching. They have Aaron Nola, who's a really solid pitcher at the start of their rotation, but they don't have a lot of depth behind him in the back end of their rotation, and their bullpen was the worst in baseball last year. It was absolutely atrocious, so they need to address those two things, and I, they've addressed the bullpen a little, I mean, Jose Alvarado, but they need more help on the back end of their rotation. Yeah, I agree with you. 28-32 for a team with Bryce Harper and JT Romuto and the guys that they do have, it's not good enough. And I think they have to get better. They have to do better. You have Bryce Harper and Romuto long-term now. You have to get better. You cannot stay this way and let those guys become unhappy on this roster with not being successful. When when they signed Bryce Harper, it was all about, okay, this team's ready to take the next step, and a lot of people were giving them a lot of hype. Now we're going to move on to another Tra- another um, tr- situation in the offseason that we've seen here. John Lester and Kyle Schwarber leave the Chicago Cubs and they head to the Washington Nationals. 
David, I know you know a lot about both these guys, both some favorites of the Chicago Cubs fan base. Do you think these veteran additions can help get the Nationals back to the World Series? I think it's a step in the right direction. There are some questions. John Lester has, you know, he's getting up there, and I don't mind his departure from the Cubs. That's just, I think that was what was going to happen. Kyle Schwarber is an interesting addition here because they do, the Nationals do have Juan Soto and left, who's probably the best pure hitter in baseball. Schwarber struggled last season, so part of that comes down to is could they possibly utilize him as a catcher like his position was back when he was a prospect? That's a possibility. Also, universal DH is could he be used there so those are the two questions for me but those additions were definitely helpful to their postseason and World Series aspirations yeah absolutely you look at Lester he's a solid back of the rotation guy when he was with the Cubs obviously this last year it struggled he struggled quite a bit being the number three guy for him but if he can slide back even a little bit farther than that he's definitely pretty solid to have and you could definitely use him in that rotation. And then when you look at Schwarber, I I love what you brought up because I think he's a guy that you're going to use strategically. That's how you're going to use him. And when you look at what he does well, he's obviously going to start against righties. That's, that's normally what he does best. And I think this could help him out in the long run, kind of a fresh start somewhere new. I know a lot of Cubs fans loved Kyle Schwarber, but at the end of the day, I think a fresh start somewhere really could help him out in his future. And now, let's look at the Cubs here a little bit. How do you replace these two? You are losing your number three guy and also Kyle Schwarber, who was a pretty big part of this roster. Kyle Schwarber, they did a good job of replacing with Jock Peterson, who is, if you look at some of the stats, almost the exact same player. Uh, average and on-base percentage are almost exactly the same. He is, I think they got him a little bit cheaper than Kyle Schwarber, and also a step forward defensively, so he could be their everyday left fielder. He can also move over to right field. He has the arm strength for that. He's been utilized in center field. I would not put him there. And also at first base is a possibility. But they pretty much got Kyle Schwarber, too. Uh, John Lester, that signing, they just need more rotation help. That's that's all. Yeah, I'm with you on that. When I look at Jack, I look at Kyle, I see Kyle Schwarber, but I see more of a let's say everyday version of Kyle Schwarber. Um, that's kind of what I see with Jock Peterson there. And when you look at the pitching, what they have there, they've made a couple low end signings: Shelby Miller, Cole Stewart. I still think those are some low risk, possibly high reward type of guys, and it's something nice to have, because you could get the benefits there. But when you look at it, I think being cautious about it they probably they need to add some more there to that pitching especially after losing the next guy we're going to look into here you darvish and snell have been traded to the padres are the padres after making that move for two very good starting pitchers the nl favorites can they rival the dodgers now yeah i'm gonna put them as my nl favorites 
partially because their starting rotation is going to be so talented, partially because they have a good solid core of young hitters, and also the Dodgers haven't done too much in free agency. They're still a very talented team, but you lose Jacques Peterson, it looks like they're going to lose Justin Turner. That's Those are two pretty big pieces of that team. So the Padres are taking a step forward, and they have still so many prospects in their farm system that they can make trades for other big-name players. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anyone closer to them, closer to rivaling the Dodgers. So I'm going to put them right up there with that, with the Dodgers as the NL favorites. I think that was a matchup I wanted to see last year was Padres versus Dodgers, and I think you're going to see it even more this season. When you look at what the Padres have, Stars all over the roster. I mean, just up and down. Reminds you a lot of the Dodgers. And now I think they even have the pitching. They've improved the pitching so much that it rivals the Dodgers as well. And so I think it's been impressive what they did this offseason. They know they're able to get in a win-now mode. And they started to last year, and they're going all in now. And it's fun. It's fun to see them put this team together. They're going to be exciting to watch once the season rolls around. And when you look at you Darvish, for example... Do you think the Cubs made a mistake of moving on from Darvish? I don't think they made a mistake moving on. It was the back end of his contract. You're not going to compete. Realistically, the Cubs aren't going to compete in the next couple of years. I'm not sure if they know that, but that's that's reality. But they didn't get enough. I don't think they got enough back. You're trading him to the Padres who have a one of the best and deepest farm systems and you don't get anyone in their top 10 prospects prospects are so volatile they can do a lot of different things but you want to get at least one in that top 10 for how good you darvish has been for you and i i just really like him as a player and as a person and it makes me sad that he's not a cub anymore yeah and when you look at it the cubs make a mistake I'm not going to say yes. I'm, I'm going to say no. But when you look at when they brought him on, he was coming off the injury. And he, his first year, he, he was kind of struggling. It wasn't you, Darvish, that you remembered from the past. And right when you get to see the full taste of you, Darvish, things are really starting to play well. He's up there for Cy Young candidate. You trade him. And I, I get the points that you made. I get it. But right when you make that signing like that, you bring in the big name off the injury. He finally starts to live up to that potential for you. You move on from him. It's tough. It really is. And I'm sure for most Cubs fans, that trade right there, is, that was a tough one to swallow. Now we're going to look at another trade within the NL here. Well, I guess going to the NL, I should say. Francisco Lindor traded to the Mets. Do you think the Indians made the right choice moving on from Lindor? No. Uh, I think they, like, yes and no. Management and ownership weren't going to re-sign him, which is a mistake. That's the mistake they made. Because I can get into a whole rant about cheap owners. That's That's not what we're here for. But having to trade him and Carlos Carrasco to the Mets... They, there are worse teams they could have traded him to, but I don't think they got enough of a, a return for one of the best shortstops in the game. And just letting him go and not re-signing him to a long deal 
is that's just a mistake that they're going to regret for a while. Yeah, I think the Cleveland-type market kind of made him a little overlooked in a way. The Mets just got a uh, they just got a top-tier MVP-type candidate. That's exactly what they just got. And when you look at it, did they make the right choice? No. No, no, no. That's a guy that you... He's a franchise difference maker. He's a guy you keep around for the long haul. So moving on from him, I I can't get behind that if I'm Cleveland. And the last thing we're going to get to is the Mets. Made some moves. Do you like what they're building here? Yeah. I'm excited for the Mets. We're, like If you look at the stats from last year, it's kind of weird. Jacob DeGrom was one of the best pitchers. They had a good team ERA and were hitting at one of the highest levels, but they just couldn't put it together on the same days. I think they're going to be successful this year, especially with the addition of Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. They lose Steven Matz, which is kind of up and down, but I think they're going to be a force in the NL. Yeah, I'm right there with you. You look at the pitching staff they have, adding Trevor May and Carrasco to DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Stroman. It's fantastic. Then adding Lindor to what you already have. You have Pete Alonso. There's a lot to like there with that team. I think they can be one of those up-and-coming teams to look at. So the last thing we're going to do here before we take off is obviously a Super Bowl prediction. David, who's winning the Super Bowl and give me that final score? I'm going with the Buccaneers. The Kansas City Chiefs are very good. And they have proven they can win, but during the season they lost some games they shouldn't have, and they've had some offensive inconsistency that Tom Brady is going to take advantage of. So I'm going Buccaneers 38-35. I like that one. Um, I think Tampa Bay is going to put up a great chance here. I hate picking against Tom Brady. I also hate picking against Patrick Mahomes. So this is tough. It's a tough Super Bowl for me. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I just think what they have offensively, it's hard to stop. And the biggest moments, I don't know if Tampa Bay's defense is going to step up and make the plays. I know Kansas City's going to. I saw them step up and make the plays they need to to win last year's Super Bowl. So I'm going with that defense, and I'm going with Patrick Mahomes. I just think they have too much offensively to really slow them down. And Andy Reid always saves his best work for the Super Bowl. I'm going to go... And this one, I'm going to go 42-35 Chiefs come out on top in that one. That concludes this episode of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. Thank you for listening. If you're on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, please give us a follow and or a like, a KLA underscore UC on Twitter and Instagram, or just Unsportsmanlike Conduct on Facebook. And also be on the lookout for a social media post tomorrow. If you can put the final score the right team and the right final score we will give you a shout out on next week's show thank you for listening and good night see ya